Hello, and welcome back to Stonework, a Bible podcast from Three Chop Church in Richmond, Virginia. I'm your host, Reverend Christopher Tweel, pastor and head of staff here at the church. Every episode, we'll look at foundational principles that guide our life of faith and that guide our lives as students of Jesus Christ. If you are new to the podcast or want to know more, find us at threechoppedchurch.org. This week in the podcast, we are looking at the reading from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 27 to 39. This is where Elijah the prophet has challenged the priests of Baal to a contest to see whose God is better. Before we read scripture and consider it together, it is always a great idea to go to God in prayer, knowing that wherever we have been or wherever we are right now, this is a precious moment that God has given us to consider a holy word. So let's take a minute to pray and let's start that prayer with a calming breath together. Let's breathe in and out. Let's pray. Living God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that in understanding we may believe in your love for us, and that in believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience to your grace for this world, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. This reading from 1 Kings that we have today is a pretty exciting verse. It is a little bit famous, especially if you've grown up in the church at all or seen any of the old cartoons and things that they used to show kids. Somehow, I'm not sure how they imagined that this was a a, a fun moment for kids to see in cartoons. Uh, There's a lot of bloodletting from the other priests. There's some fire and there's some death at the end. This is this is very much kind of the action film portion of uh, uh, this section of Elijah's life as a prophet. So let's read it and listen together. At noon, Elijah began making fun of the prophets of Baal. Pray louder, he said. Baal must be a god. Maybe he is daydreaming or using the toilet or traveling somewhere. Or maybe he's asleep and you have to wake him up. The prophets kept on shouting louder and louder as they chanted to Baal. They cut themselves with swords and knives until they were bleeding. This was the way that they worshipped, and they kept it up until the afternoon. But there was no answer of any kind. Elijah told everyone to gather around him while he repaired the Lord's altar. He used twelve stones to build an altar in honor of God. 
Each stone was for one of the tribes of Israel's, which was the name the Lord had given to their ancestor Jacob. Elijah dug a ditch around the altar, large enough to hold about 13 quarts of liquid. He placed the wood on the altar, and then they cut a bull into pieces and laid the meat on the wood. He told the people, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it over the meat and all the wood. And after they did this, he told them to do it two more times. They did exactly as he said, until finally the water ran down the altar and filled the ditch. When it was time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed, O Lord, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now prove that you are the God of this nation, and that I, your servant, have done this at your command. Please answer me, so that these people will know that you are the Lord God, and that you will turn their hearts back to you. The Lord immediately sent a fire, and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones. It scorched the ground everywhere around the altar and dried up every last drop of water in the ditch. When the crowd saw what had happened, they all bowed down and shouted, The Lord is God! The Lord is God! So this is a great verse. Um, I, there, <laughs> we really did watch this as kids, um, kind of growing up in the church. And I remember cartoons. I think there were at least two cartoons of this that I remember seeing and watching. Uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine why they thought this was a good passage other than, you know, it, there, there is a lot of action. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, for our purposes, uh, as we're kind of looking at, at, at leadership and, and different leaders from Scripture, it is a great point to kind of see Elijah being pretty fearless. Um, the backstory to this to this passage that we read here today um, is that Elijah goes to the king and the people of Israel have been going back and forth between Baal and God. Um, they've been kind of worshiping both. And the king has kind of let them uh, get into that, get into that habit. Um, and so Elijah goes and says, listen, it's time to, it's time to do this. It's time to pick uh, who you're going to serve. And um, it's interesting. The, the Hebrew that he, that he uses there is it, makes it sound like he is saying um, it's time to stop limping between two people. Um, it, it is really kind of sharing with us the understanding that worshiping other things and still worshiping God is like being lame, is like being, you know, injured, is like limping through life. Um, and that's a great first point, you know, as, as we choose daily um, the kinds of things we're going to serve, the kinds of things that we're going to believe in, um, whether we're going to uh, put um, other things ahead of our Christian value 
you know, uh, we we make those kinds of choices all the time. So that that's a that's a good note there that Elijah have kind of kind of echoing, or I think Jesus is echoing Elijah later about uh, can't serve two masters. Uh, and there are other points where it talks about that too. But but for today, we're really we're really looking at the character of Elijah. Elijah goes up in front of the king, and very often, you know, um, <laughs> prophets go up against kings. You know, they have to have a, a sense of bravery and and chutzpah uh, <laughs> to them to do that. But also, I I ended up really loving this story as I grew up because of just Elijah's boldness and brazenness to these priests. You know, um, it, it talks about, he, he gathers about 400 or so uh, of these folks together on this mountain to, to, to exercise this challenge. And it's a challenge that all the people of Israel or the king and everybody kind of agrees to. So you, you can also get a sense in the, the uh, preview preamble of this story uh, that the people are kind of like, yeah, okay, well, let's, let's do decide. Um, let's see who's more powerful. And it's possible that they expected Baal to, to win or, or, you know, there's not a sense that we know what they're expecting at this point. Um, but at this point at, at verse 27, where we, where we started the reading today, I love it. Elijah is making fun of them. Um, and this is a, this is a great passage to test your Bible on, to see how good your Bible is, to see how good your translation is, because if it doesn't say toilet, your Bible is not doing you any favors. <laughs> the actual Hebrew uh, of this passage says toilet. That is really what this, what Elijah was saying, this ancient person, as he is taunting these other priests because they can't get a response from their God. He says, pray louder. He's daydreaming or using the toilet or traveling somewhere. He's basically trying to, you know, he's taunting them saying like, oh, uh, you know, maybe your God's just indisposed right now. Maybe be a little louder and maybe he'll hear you then. Uh, and the last line is such a, such a, <laughs> such a snarky thing. Oh, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you have to wake him up. Um, completely making fun of them. Um, and just kind of creates this great image of the, <laughs> the weird fearlessness that Elijah has. And as we'll see, it is fearlessness in the face of, um, his being completely sure about who God is. Now that's, that's who Elijah is. This, you know, assurance, this, um, the way that he's, he's taunting everybody. It doesn't come from just his need to be kind of snarky. It comes from this real deep place of knowing that God is absolutely going to come through for him. Um, and again, this is a space that he's in. They have knives, they have swords, if they win, the um, implication is not good for Elijah. So he's very literally put his life on the line for this. Uh, as we go on in the reading, the prophets shout louder and louder. And it says they cut themselves until they were bleeding. And the, the text is, uh, it's interesting at this point because these passages in Kings, you get a sense that they were possibly written for people that didn't know the background of either the people of Israel or the prophets of Baal. 
So we're, we're getting a sense of the author's intention for this a little bit, um, because it's telling us that, well, this is just a regular practice. If you're not familiar with the practices of Baal, they, they cut themselves with swords and knives until they bleed. This is the way they worship. But there is no answer of any kind. Again, the text is really explicit in being able to tell us that there's zero answer, no answer at all. This is um, a great place for kings to be used by ancient peoples and by us, <laughs> um, to some degree, I guess, to, to say that other things are not going to answer you. Um, if you're looking for an answer, you can keep praying to other things. You can keep it up all afternoon. You can let yourself bleed. Um, you can harm yourself in this practice, but there won't be an answer. Um, modern modernization of that might might be something more like there won't be an adequate answer or there won't be a, a good enough answer. Um, again, we think about who do we serve, that kind of thing. If we're if we're looking to the political spectrum for answers in life, our answers aren't going to come from the political spectrum. Um, even if folks in politics are talking about God. Um, it's so rare and so difficult to bring the um, morality of Christianity into a modern political arena because the morality of Christianity is for the people that don't have means, for the least of these, for the widow, for the orphan, uh, for God's justice, which does not comply with a lot of our other uh, uh, moralities that we've kind of established uh, as a, as a social group over the years. So, um, if we look to politics, if we look to our careers, if we look into our, our own educations, um, any of these things, even, even our own families. Um, I talk about sometimes how our own families can become, uh, idols, uh, in our lives. Um, we, we tend to think that the, the family is completely, sacrosanct and it's impossible for anything uh you know as long as i'm doing it for my family then i'm totally okay and and that's that's not quite true um we we really have to be be cautious um because anything anything can become an idol anything can become an idol an unhealthy an unhealthy leaning into uh these other parts of our lives uh, can become an idol and it can become the most important thing. We can take our direction from that thing as opposed to taking our direction strictly from God and from scripture. Well, back to Elijah, he tells everyone to gather around him. And this is interesting because he is bringing people in together at the beginning of this while he's repairing the altar. So Elijah is reteaching these folks He's using the 12 stones. And, and again, here we, we are getting a sense of the listening audience for this or, or the, the, the people that are reading this uh, in the ancient times. It talks about each stone. There are 12 stones. Each stone stood for one of the tribes of Israel, which is the name the Lord had given to their ancestor, Jacob. Now, any any Jewish person worth their salt or who had been raised in any any part of the, the 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 Jewish faith or the the Israeli Palestinian you know area would know this um, 
they would already know this. So, so this information isn't for uh, the Hebrew person, uh, the faithful Hebrew person who, who already knows this. This is written for someone different. This is written for someone else. This is a teaching moment. Uh, Elijah is using it as a teaching moment in that place to kind of aid these folks who have drawn away from God, apparently have drawn away from God to the point where they are not uh, really deeply entrenched in this knowledge. So he's, he's showing them, showing them some new knowledge. They dig a trench. It's big enough to hold 13 quarts of water. He places wood on the altar. They cut the bull into pieces and they put water on the whole thing. This is just adding insult to injury and a way of making sure that people realize that God is going to be serious about this, or at least that Elijah is serious about this. You know, the, 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 the contest is to light something on fire first and to see whose God listens to them. Elijah is making it harder for God and and by making everything wet, by making the wood wet, by making the, the meat wet, by wetting down the altar, he is making it harder for God. And so people at the time and, and people reading this would have said like, oh my gosh, well, he's, he's absolutely going to lose. Even if Elijah's God was strong enough to light a small fire, it would never take because he's, he's watered it down. What has he done? He's, he's lost his mind. This is also a great uh, uh ancient uh, Jewish literary hook here to have, because it kind of draws you in with that, with that idea, like, oh my gosh, what's he doing? Why would he ever do this? And then you keep reading because you want to find out, find out why or how. It says, when it came time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed. Now listen to this, listen to this prayer again. Our Lord, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now prove that you are the God of this nation and that I, your servant, have done this at your command. Please answer me so that these people will know you are the Lord God and that you will turn their hearts back to you. This is a great prayer. Uh, This is great just in terms of, you know, us in the modern age as we look to how to pray or the kinds of, of prayers that we're doing. Um, it, it's not long. It's not long and it's not enormously poetic. And it is just very open and real and is just a plea. Just, just, just bring us back to you, God. To break it down again, Elijah says, our Lord. So he, he is already saying, yeah, you guys might, be worshiping Baal sometimes, but this is your God. This is your Lord. By including them in the prayer, Elijah is making a statement that says, yeah, yeah, you're doing some of this other stuff right now, but this is your God. Um, And then again, goes back through the ancestry, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, who was named Jacob, as we learned just earlier in, in the paragraph. And it is asking for proof so that uh, this is different from Job. You know, Job demands some things from God and there are other places too. Um, demanding God, you know, show himself or prove himself or, or something. 
this is not Elijah saying, you know, like, prove to me you're real, God. Come on. Um, Elijah knows God's real. And Elijah is asking for this on behalf of the other people there. Um, And it's a prayer that says, I know that the work is not yet done. I know that this work isn't finished. Uh, Answer me so that these people will know that you are the Lord God, that you are the highest God, that you are the highest of the highest, um, and that you will turn their hearts back to you. And so that they know that you are still working on them so that you are not turning your back on them so that they know that you are, are wanting to gather them in or wanting to bring them in and that you are working to bring their hearts back to you. Um, so it, it's, it's really great. The prayer describes what God's work is going to be like describes a, a little bit of, of history of who God is, brings the people in together as, as, as one group and, and kind of claims them already. Like immediately they're already claimed, regardless of the outcome of this situation, regardless of the outcome of what God does, whether it sets fire to anything or not. If you're reading this story for the first time, if you're hearing it for the first time, you are claimed by God already. You are loved by God already. God is going to work in your life to turn your heart back to God. That's, you know, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful and inspiring, I think, um, in any age, in any age, certainly in ours. And then what happens next? The Lord immediately sent fire. And in, in these cartoons that I remember, it you know happened in a couple different ways. And sometimes it came up from the ground. You know, sometimes it just exploded into fire, and the fire went up all the way to the to the sky. And sometimes it's like this giant finger of fire that comes down from the sky. <laughs> um, the the text is not clear. Fire was sent. And somehow fire was sent. Um, but the level that it burns everything up is is notable because it's saying like this isn't a small fire. This this is God's response. When we ask for God to be a part of our lives, when we recognize that we are God's nation, when we recognize that we are uh, God's people, when we realize that God is going to work in our lives to turn our hearts back, this is the level to which God is working in our lives. This is God's response. Boom. Look at this amount of fire. This amount of fire is the the level of God's response. This is turning it all the way up to 11 for for any Spinal Tap fans out there. Uh, God scorches the ground everywhere around the altar, dries up every drop of water in the ditch. It burns up the sacrifice of meat. It burns up the wood and it burns up the stones. That is how God responds to us. That's the level of God's fervor. And it's not, it's not a destruction thing only. Um, it, it, it destroys all these things, but, but that is partially because that was the deal. That was the, that was the contest. Um, they said, how will Baal respond? Baal responds with silence. How will God respond? God responds all the way. God responds 
past 10 and into 11. God responds with everything that you could possibly imagine and more. Not only is the burnt offering consumed, not only is the wood consumed, not only is the water evaporated, but the very rocks, the stones are consumed also. And again, this is also kind of a little literary device going back to the 12 stones, the 12 tribes. This is 12 is a, a, a nice complete number for, for the Jewish people. And so this is God saying, not only am I consuming um, these stones, I am re I am uh, re-blending you. I am folding you back in. I am consuming you back into the body of God. I am bringing you back into the family, or I am reminding you that you are uh, a, a, an intricate uh, part of me, that you have been kind of swallowed up um, by God, which is kind of a, a very ancient understanding of being. You know, if you look at, if you look at, um, Greek texts or Roman texts, a lot of times um, the elder gods would swallow up some new upstart god. Or uh, certainly in the in the case of Athena, Athena is uh, born from Zeus's skull, you know, but she came out of Zeus. So like being inside uh, the body of 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 a god is is kind of a, a metaphor for being completely a part of that god, you know. And so a, a similar thing is happening here in metaphor with the consumption of the stones. God's fire is consuming the tribes. And again, because it's a complete number, because it's one of those nice, perfect numbers for, for the Hebrew people, their understanding of that is that God is consuming the whole world. You know, God is not, it's not just, um, for one group. And, and this, this matches with everything God's ever told uh, the Hebrew people all the way back to Abraham. You know, I am blessing you so that you can be a blessing to the whole world. I am ordaining you as my children, as my priests to the entire world so that the whole world will know that I am God. And of course, that's the reaction here of the crowd also. <laughs> it's giant fire and everything else. And they all bow down. They shout, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Um, so this leadership the, of, of Elijah, this amazing moment, this crazy idea uh, that Elijah has, has this wonderful uh, effect uh, on the people. It brings them closer to God. They, they see the difference uh, of God's response to Baal's response. And how could you, realizing that the response of our other gods, our false gods, our, our other idols that we make, when we, when we really understand that the response of those things in our lives is so silent when compared with the overwhelming reaction that God has in our lives. How could, how could we say anything less? So my hope is that uh, as, as we go, as we hear this story of Elijah, that we'll internalize that as well, that, that God's response to you is going to be up to 11. That as we reach out to God, as we say, you know, help me understand, return my heart to you. Um, bring me back into uh, a closeness with you, that God's response is, is going to be big. It's going to be an 11 response. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change our lives.
Friends, what a joy it is to spend time with you. Uh, If you would please subscribe or rate us and review us, it'll help other people find this podcast. If you have questions about who we are or want to know more about our church family, please visit us online at threechoppedchurch.org. A huge thank you to all the folks at the church who have made this podcast possible. And until next time, may you be blessed and be a blessing wherever you may be.